We are in 1 John chapter 5, and we will be looking at verses 6 through 15 today as we come to the end of the book of 1 John, where we have been for several months now. I will read these verses to us, then we go back and let's start looking at these together. We're now here in 2020. It was yesterday I read this one little 2020 clip that said, good news for those people now wearing glasses, you now can finally see 2020. (laughs) I think some of us thought we were seeing 2020, but we're now in 2020. 1 John chapter 5, verse 5, reading on down, who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. There are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has has the life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. In whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we ask of him. John is somewhat signing off in his writing. He's coming to the end of the writing. He's beginning to share some of his last burdens, some of his last thoughts. And as every society was immersed in cultures, so also was the churches that were surrounded during that time in Ephesus and scattered throughout the area of Asia Minor with culture. John took some time to begin to, I believe, enforce as we look at this, foundational, fundamental truths that are like anchors in the middle of confusion and storms and divisions and trials. Right a few years later, Gnosticism would have had risen to its greatest heights in this part of the world, it was a cultural mindset that took God and just twisted the truth. And I just jotted a couple things down regarding Gnosticism. You think about this regarding where we're at today in America and how also it may not be Gnosticism, but it is humanism and relativism and all the isms that say God is not who the Word of God says he is. The Gnostics believed that salvation could be gained by some form of secret knowledge. 
They created lesser gods to explain the creations of the world and considered Jesus just as another spiritual God. They taught God as incomprehensible and unknowable and not personable. He was God, but he wasn't personable. They divided Christians into two groups, the inferior and the superior, and Christians existed within this realm of their judgments, and dualism was a part of their belief system, and they believed that the world was divided into two different realms, physical and spiritual, and they didn't mix. They had these two worlds going together, physical and spiritual, and they saw Jesus as a holy spiritual God, They claimed hidden knowledge and secret revelations as basis for salvation, which freed the divine spark within the human heart. They did not see the inner work of Jesus Christ as we believe it as Christians. And what happened is this teaching eventually divided the church. Some of the religious leaders rose up like Justin Martyr and says, we can't allow this teaching within the church. And the churches began to divide. And out of it, you had other churches rising up that embraced Gnosticism. And you had others that said, no, we must stand for truth. Regardless of what happens, we cannot fall into the trap of, of, of error that comes so easily around us. They also believe that Jesus was in spirit only during the time he was here in the world, but that spirit left him when he went and gave his life at the cross. They did not see Jesus, all God, all man. And they believed that they, they, and they were, they, as they condemned the early church fathers, they also were condemned. And the early church fathers stood up against those doctrines. Now, as we look today, we're going to see some verses that people have got kind of crossways in over the years. Uh, It is, I don't want to say it's divided them, but it's, but these have been areas that are somewhat can be deep, but I want us to see a great foundational fundamental truth that is built around these verses as we look at them today. Verse six, this is the one, this is Jesus who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. I want us to notice four evidences of Jesus here. First, this is the one, Jesus. He came by water. He came by blood. And it's the Spirit who testifies after Jesus went up. It was the Spirit that declared him the Son of God. But as we look at this, we can say we understand the one. John was saying, let's lock on the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is one God. His name is Jesus. He stands supreme in every way. All the other gods cannot be compared to him. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. But John writes, he came by water and blood. And people say, what was this all about that Jesus, the one that John is coming speaking about, the one true God, came by water and blood? 
Now we understand the blood, I believe, because this is what we'll even commemorate today in our time of communion. And that was where Jesus gave his life as the perfect sacrifice for sin, and his blood was shed for the atonement of our sins. You can't quite figure that out. You can't fully even explain that in all detail. And I believe that's one of the reasons God gives us the communion, to come back to this truth, understand what this really is. But when we look at water, there's been many philosophies that have came out of water. One was that when Jesus was at the cross, the soldier, you remember, he pierced his side, and out of his side came blood and water. And the, the, the blood was for the cleansing and the, and the forgiveness of sin. The water was representative of his humanity, that he was all God, all man, very true, all God, all man. It was Jesus who told Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, unless a man is born of the water and of the spirit, he won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And there are many scholars that say that water there was really primarily in reference to the water that comes at the time when a human is born into this world and the conception brings out water as, as, as the water breaks within the woman and the child comes out. No, I don't know. I'll give you one more because we know this one too. And, and, and I, I will give this to you because I want you to see this. And I'd also say, you know, there's no reason not to break bread together because we have a little different perspective of this. But it was Jesus himself that went down to the River Jordan. He came to his own cousin, John, and he told him, I want you to baptize me. And John says, you've got to be kidding. I should be baptized of you. You're asking me to, be baptized, to baptize you? And Jesus said, I want you to do this so it will fulfill all righteousness. Suffer to be so. Jesus was like us, baptized of water. What he was really saying there in that act of baptism as he submitted to his cousin John is he was saying, I am in the flesh also. I am the son of God who came in the flesh, all God, all man. And we'll spend the rest of our lives looking at that great divine truth and we'll never quite bridge how magnificent that is. That God could send his son who was truly God's son, yet for him to be born of a woman and live a life in the flesh and to be baptized by his cousin John saying, I need to be baptized too. Really, that's one of the reasons that Jesus is such a merciful and faithful high priest is because he walked with us. He's more than a savior. He's a great friend. Sometimes in the Christian life, it takes quite a while to see that, that we, we just don't quite see this truth that is so foundational in the word of God, that Jesus is also our friend. But notice what he says. He says, this is the one, the one Jesus, who came by water and blood. He was all God, all man, and he was going to give his life, Jesus Christ, and not with water only. He did not come just in the flesh. But with the water and with the blood. He came 
to give his life as a ransom for many. This is why today we're going to commemorate in just a few few minutes today, we'll be commemorating this time that the Christian church has set aside for communion because we need to remember, Jesus, you died for me and I forget. You gave your life for me. You went to the cross for me. Matter of fact, one of my favorite writers wrote one chapter many years ago on who really put Jesus on the cross. And when the chapter was all over, it said, you did. You put him there. You nailed him to that cross. But here John is speaking about the one who came by water and blood. The last sentence of verse 6. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. And now we see something else. Jesus is gone from heaven into the heavens. And today we have something that declares clearly with the water and blood, which is the Spirit. There are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are completely in agreement. And when you see this, what he's speaking about is that which testifies about Jesus Christ is much more than what we first see. And I believe John is giving the, the Christians of Ephesus and all of those churches the tools to be effective and to believe in what he has given them and to go out and spread the word in the most amazing ways. They've got the Spirit. They've got the Lord God from heaven. And they have got his own atonement message on the cross on their side, supporting them everywhere they go. You're going to see a word that keeps jumping through these, these several verses here, and it's going to be testifies, or testimony, or testified. And testimony, or testified, is, is evidence. The Spirit gives evidence. It's a declaration of truth. The Spirit declares truth. As we look at this great work of, of Calvary and where Jesus is, not only is it a te does testimony speak of that, it speaks of support, walking beside. It speaks of a very clear witness that when a child of God has the Spirit of God going out from their life and from their, their words as a clear witness, it just rings. And something else it speaks about is a judiciary declaration that he is Christ and he is Lord of all. And we see this in so many places, but the Lord is saying here, there are three that testify. It's the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three are in agreement. And what it's saying is, I, I love this because what it's speaking about is the divine headship of the Lord God from heaven in Jesus Christ is in perfect oneness. There's a truth for all of us here to grab, and that is that's why John would write so much even in this epistle to walk together in truth, to walk in oneness in truth. Because if God is one, let's be one. God isn't separated. God is one, and because of this, we also can walk together in truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Paul writing uh, as he's going to enter into Corinth, he says, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. 
proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In verse 9, John states, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. Can you see with me he's, he, what he's really doing is taking these people that are being bombarded with all kinds of, of false teaching and messed up equations of belief and saying, hold it. You've got the strongest there is. You have the greatest declaration of truth there ever is. And it's greater than all the doctrine that will come at you. All of the Gnostic beliefs or the humanistic beliefs, no matter how they come, the testimony of God is greater. And that's why Paul, when he writes to the Corinth church, says, I'm going to stand right on the testimony of God. I'm not going to leave it. I am going to embrace it. I'm going to believe it. I will stand on it because it's where the strength is and this is where Jesus is. But I still go back. There's there's three that testify the spirit and the water and the blood and they're in agreement. Back in about 2003 or four, Deb and I had moved down into the Yakima Valley from a little further north in Washington and there it was. We were going to uh, we were, had been sent by the church to plant a new church. And planting churches, just for any of you who have never done it, they never work like you think they're going to work. Guaranteed. People always come up, well, did it all work out like you thought? I says, no. Nothing really did. Kind of began to get to the place you don't think that way anymore. You just simply say, God, do we want to be in your will? We were by ourselves. Maybe we had three families. And we were driving down the Yakima Valley Highway one day and Deb looked out and she said, that property over there is glowing. That was what she said. I'd never heard it. I'd never thought about it. I said, where? She says, right there, just on that knoll, that property is glowing. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. Left. A few days later, we're going down the same road, same place, and she said, the property is still glowing. It's still glowing. And I would go, wow. A few, more, a few days later, the property keeps glowing. And I thought, I wonder why. The spirit hadn't bore witness yet together. I think some of you men can relate to this. I think somewhere in your lives you can relate to this. But after about 50 times and probably about five months, I started listening. I still didn't see it glowing, but I believe that property was there and I knew that. And there was a little sign along the side of the road. First time I ever saw a sign, it said for sale by owner. I thought, wow. Do you want to go over there and talk to them? She says, yes, I'd love to. So we went over there and talked to them. And when they walked out, they were glowing, I guess, just like the property. Their name was Duncan and Chris Ann. 
And they said, you got to hear the story. And by this time, there was one bearing witness. Now there's two bearing witness, and there's another one starting to bear witness. He says, you've got to hear the story. And we sat there and we heard this story about a widow woman that they had taken care of and, and poured the last five years of their lives into her and she died. And they were called down to the attorney's office to hear the reading of the will. And they were just shocked to hear that she had given them the property as a gift with one condition. The property would be used for the work of God. And I told him, we're just a couple of us here. We're worshiping down in this little community center. I don't know. But five years later, when we'd looked everywhere for property as a church, all it took was one step in that property. And everyone knew that that was God's property. That church is there today. They're worshiping this morning on a hill. Maybe it's a rough illustration of how the Spirit begins to bear witness. And maybe it's a rough illustration of how we recognize the Son of God. We recognize the Word of God. We recognize the power of God. We start seeing the blood of God. We might miss the, the humanity of God. But little by little, the Spirit keeps bearing witness. And finally, we see with clarity God. It seems like this was one of the burdens in John's heart as he was writing was, was that they could see very clearly the truth in the middle of untruth, uh, the, the black and white in the middle of gray and shady stuff that rolls in. And there's no reason to deny this, that we are bombarded with shady stuff. We are just hit with shady stuff everywhere we turn. Half-truths. Partial truths, counterfeits, the philosophies that come so easy. Paul, to the Colossian church, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he was challenging that church to look up to the headship of Jesus. And here he said some words that are so important for that church, but for this church too. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men. There's one. According to the elementary principles of the world, there's another. Rather than according to Christ, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And Paul is simply saying, in Jesus you're complete. Absolutely complete. You stand on the power of God and you have a completeness there that is amazing. And there is no comparison. Verse 10, the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. You have the testimony within you if you believe in the Son of God. Notice that in the passage. It's not like, oh, I'll find it someday. No, if you believe in the Son of God, you've got the testimony in himself, and the one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning the Son. You see what John is doing? He's saying it's all coming down to one great truth, believing in his Son. And if you believe, you have the testimony. We're seeing the word testify, testimony, but you've got the testimony in yourself. 11, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, 
and this life is in his son. You know, I'll just tell you a little bit more about what it's like to move into an area where no one, you don't know anybody. It's such a blessing. That's what happened when we got here to Phoenix. People everywhere, I didn't know a person. There's one guy right up here, second row, asked me out to breakfast first time. He's not here. He comes Saturday night. Didn't know a person. Got down to Yakima. They didn't know me from Adam. What do I have to say? There is one thing I have to say. Can't talk about my grandpa. You've heard a few stories. Family don't mean a thing. What means everything is the testimony of Jesus. Everything. And you know what it does? It breaks right across the barriers. It goes over the top. It, goes, it speaks to hearts of people of all kinds of backgrounds when there is one thing that is given, the testimony of his son, Jesus Christ. And this is what John is speaking about, is all of this, the spirit, the water, the blood, is testifying to one person, Jesus and the power in your community to change that community comes down to one person with one testimony. And that testimony is Jesus. Not about how great CC Surprise is. Not about how wonderful it is in our family. No, the testimony is the Lord Jesus. And John is stating this. We have the testimony and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, verse 11, and this life is in his son. You know, the saints of God throughout the ages have always had one testimony. That's what they've had, just one. Oh, they came from all kinds of backgrounds. They believed and they were princes and paupers and they were blue collars and white collars. They were kings and, and beggars but they had one message. And I believe John is coming to this in this writing as he's finishing up the chapter and he's the book and he's saying, you've got one singular message that will counteract all, counteract all, all false, all hypocrisy, all Gnosticism or humanism or philosophy or vain deceit. And it's Jesus. One message. You know, the Lord, as he spoke to his disciples, Luke 12, verses 11 through 12, you know, sometimes we'd like to think he just, it was just going to be easy, but that's not what Jesus said. And I realized within the context, he would be speaking to the Jewish, his Jewish brethren, and he'd be getting, there were some Gentiles listening, but it says they will, when they will bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense, or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you should say. He's saying, God will give it to you. Many of you can relate to this. I've been into some very dangerous, messy places. I've been in places that I thought I may never walk out alive, but there's something that is so true with that, and that is God gives you what you need for the moment. He gives you the words. He gives you the perspective. And I believe as John was coming to the end of this and he was speaking about this, this declaration of truth, he's saying, 
You have everything you need in Jesus. Look to him. Let him lead the way. Let him take us to where he wants to go. And notice as, he, as we come towards the end of our, our verses this morning, he says in verse 11, and the, and the testimony is, of the, is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. I think about the blind man that Jesus just took the clay and he touched his eyes and people begin to ask him later, what happened? What really happened? And you know what the blind man said? They says, well, this probably happened, didn't it, or this? And the, the blind man says, I don't know a lot, but I do know one thing. Once I was blind and now I see. That's the testimony. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once I was a stranger, and now I'm brought to Jesus, and I have him. He who has the Son, verse 12, has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. The testimony of God, of his Son, is only because of one condition, that we have the Son. If we do not have the Son, the Word of God is so clear, one of, the, one of the great places of the Word of God that it just says, there's the wall. There's no place to sit on the top of the wall. You can't sit the fence. It says, the one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And these things I've written to you who believe on the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Know the testimony of God is within you. That you would know that it is Jesus speaking through you. Jesus giving you the strength. Jesus giving you the power to do that which you cannot do. In studying this, my, my mind's went back to 1898. It's a common story. You may have heard it before but it may tell a story that we can just linger with a minute here. It was a, right in the height of the of Spanish-American Spanish War. It only lasted maybe three months, and William McKinley was the president. He would die within a year or so, be one of our three presidents assassinated. But something happened with William. He had one message he needed to get into the heart of Cuba to a man whose name was Garcia, and he didn't know how to get the message there. And he sought his his staff, and he got them together and he asked them how to get the message to Garcia. And one of the staff members says, I know a man who will take the message. His name is Ronan. Don't even know his first name. And he was called before some leadership and they said, we have one message to get to one man in Cuba. And they wrapped the message around his heart with a little leather pouch. And someone took him a few miles off the shore of Cuba and they gave him a little boat and he drove up to the shore of Cuba and there he walked into Cuba, but they said, that man will take the message. And he walked into the jungles of Cuba and no one saw him for one week and then two weeks and then three weeks. And then he comes staggering out and someone saw him along the seashore and they asked him who, is, who he was. 
And he said, my name is Ronan. They said, what did you do? He said, I delivered the message. That was it. I don't know whatever else Ronan ever did in his life, but the one thing he did was when he was called to declare the message. The message was on his heart, and he went, and he found Garcia, and he gave him the message. And the war was over very shortly. And I, do ha I have nothing to go on to say this is the reason the war was finished, but I do have a lot to go on that they found one faithful man that would simply do what they asked him to do, and he'd carry the message. In many ways, John knew as he finished this writing that this is what was going to be happening to the church. They would go out, they'd be scattered, they'd be persecuted. But I, I love John because even as we come to the end of the passage, John says this is the confidence that we have before him. When you've got the testimony of Jesus in your heart, when the Spirit of God is within you, when you claim this blood sacrifice as sufficient, when you recognize that Jesus Christ gave his life as the Son of God, John says it like this, we have this is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I want us to get this because this is so important in prayer. He says, first off, we've got confidence that we can go to God and we can take anything, anything. Have you ever went there to God and just said, God, this time I'm going to, this is crazy, but I'm going to ask this. Have you ever? Have you ever let, tried God? And, and John says, this is a confidence that if we ask anything, anything. And there's another part of this though. Let's look at the other part. According to his will, he hears us. God, I am going to give you this. And what he's telling that church is church, as you read this epistle, as you take this message, you can go to God with anything. And God's going to answer it because it says he hears us. But he does say this, according to his will. That's the counterbalance because we don't always know the will of God. We know what we want. He knows what we need. We see the outside. He sees the inside. We see today. He sees 20 years down the road. We don't see what God sees, but the word of God does say this, that we can have confidence that we can take anything to him. And there's a little preface there, according to his will. Lord, I don't want what you don't want. Many times in my prayer life, I, I come to that point, God, I don't want what you don't want, but I want what you want. Don't matter what it is, I don't want what you don't want, the Lord. Keep that from me, but I do want what you want. And John here, as he's coming to the end of this book, this writing, he's saying, this is a confidence that we can go out of here that if we ask anything according to his will, and I leave this with us today as a church to take a, take a bold step and trust God to answer this ridiculous prayer. Don't even have to tell nobody else. Maybe not even your wife. Just ask God. God, I'm going to ask you. 
by this, this passage right here. But there's one thing I want to put in this. It needs to be according to your will. God, I don't want what you don't want. But what you want, I want. And this is what John is saying here as he's coming to the end of this textual writing. He says, this is the confidence before him, before God boldly, because we're his child. If we ask anything, anything, write it down, speak it, whisper it, utter it, express it according to his will, he hears us. And then he ends this writing with this beautiful proclamation. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, and we do, because we have the testimony of Jesus in us. You see, the testimony of Jesus in us bears witness to his son, Jesus. The spirit connects greatly, deeply, and it bears witness. We have, notice this verse, and if we know he hears us, that ridiculous time, that foolish almost request in the eyes at least of others, whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we ask of him. And John is just simply saying, when it's all said and done, the result of what happens when the testimony of Jesus is in you is you just see God answer prayer. And prayer becomes exceedingly powerful. And prayer changes lives. And prayer moves mountains. And prayer changes nations. And prayer restores marriages. And prayer restores relationships. And John says, when you have that confidence, you go to God, he hears us. Because you have the testimony of Jesus within you. That's what makes the difference. It isn't who we are. It's because Jesus hears us because he sees himself in us. And he recognizes that we are a child of God. And I don't know where everyone is here today. And I think, you know, as I, as I will just confess to you, I got, kept thinking, you know, that's going to be kind of a, a dry, boring part of this area of 1 John. And all of a sudden it just hit me. It just came to life. Wow. This is so much about just believing who God is and, and how great he is and how rich he is and how clear of a message he gives us and how full he is in Jesus. And because of that, what we become, you know what he's really saying here? The church that believes this becomes a prayer warrior church. They're knocking down the walls of, of, of the world because they believe this right here, because they have the testimony of Jesus in them. We have the privilege today to partake of this bread and cup in a short time. We'll have a communion service together. We do this monthly here at Calvary Surprise, just a time to reflect, recognizing, Lord, how much I need you. But it's also time to recognize, Lord, how great was your sacrifice? How sufficient is your sacrifice? How perfect was the offering of your son, Jesus Christ? How complete we are in you, Lord. And yet I, there's something else that I, I remember at a time like this. And that is, Lord, how easy it is for me to wander. 
And you use something so tangible to remind me, remind me, oh Lord, of who I am and what you've done and how bad I need you. If there's someone here today too that does not have, you, you know it, you, you know it, you already know it tonight, today, if you don't have the testimony of Jesus within you, if Jesus is not within you, today is the day to respond to Jesus by faith and say, Lord, I believe in what I've been hearing this pastor preach. I, I can't figure it all out. I couldn't even explain it, but I believe that. That God has testified of his son. His son bore witness through the water and the blood and through the spirit of God now speaking to your heart, whoever you are. He's speaking right now. He's knocking at the door. You say, Lord, I want to open that door. I want to open that door and I want you to come in. I don't want to be living this life of uncertainty mixed up with all the isms that surround us today. I want clarity of faith and direction and purpose. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sufficiency, for your sacrifice. Oh God, we thank you for sending your son into the world who gave the perfect sacrifice. And today the, the, the blood and the water, the life and the blood bear witness to your sacrifice, Lord Jesus. I thank you for that declaration of truth. Thank you, Lord, that you bring us to this place one more time where we can behold the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. We can see you and understand how much we need you. And yet, Lord, also that we can understand how sufficient you are that even as we go out of this place, we don't have to take thought for what we're going to do. You're going to give us the words. You're going to show us the way. You're going to prepare the path. And you're going to take people that are weak and through your strength, just like the Apostle Paul, we might be before someone in weakness, O oh God, and fear and much trembling. But in you, it'll be the power of God that makes the difference. As you are living through us, and your spirit is bearing witness that we are the Son of God. Bless this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.